Thanks for listening to the Three Old Goalies podcast. We're going to send it right over to Boa to introduce our special guest, Butch Laffer from West Texas A&M. So this is a special day for the three old goalies, especially for the middle of the uh, oldest people. First, I didn't know I was going to have to do this. So secondly, today's guest is one of my oldest, dearest, and my number one football confidant in the world. Butch Lawfer from Dallas, Texas. And when you when Greg Deutsch starts talking to Coach Lawfer, it is going to blow your mind. We talk on the show a lot about the good and the bad and the ugly, mostly about the bad and the ugly. This guy is a world-class in every definition of the word football mind on the UEFA level, on the FIFA level, um, and is a – incredibly successful college coach because that's the way it works in this country um but should be the manager of liverpool so i am going to hand this off and i've known butch lawfer since i was 18 years old and i was six foot 159 pounds and he's five nine and i tried to use his id to get into a bar at soccer camp that's right and i got arrested we got arrested that's so greg deutsch it is all yours so uh butch it coaches, in case you guys don't know, at West Texas State, which is in Canyon, Texas, which is near Amarillo, Texas, which is on the western part of Texas, near uh, right next to New Mexico. Um, Butch, you've been doing this a very, very long time. So um, give us, you know, a little background here because, you know, 32 years at West Texas State is a very, very long time. You've got over 550 wins, which, John, I mean, that's pretty impressive, as you could imagine. Um, I'm still blown away by that, over 550. I don't think we've had anyone on the show with that many wins, John, to be honest. Uh, Ryan, I don't think we have. Um, I I just want to know, you know, Butch, as as you start out here, you're born in Washington, D.C. How in the heck do you end up in Texas? So sort of take us through this little journey here and okay. well, enjoy it. Well, before before we do the life and times, uh, I just want to thank the, John and, and his and his buddies for inviting me on the show. You guys must be scraping the bottom of the barrel right now. So, but uh, I just want to say it's uh, very excited to do this and, and excited to to be involved. But uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, well, for, we ended up in Texas. We moved to Texas in 67. My mom is from the, the Texas, Oklahoma area. And uh, my dad's uh, a Yankee. He was born in Pennsylvania and, and uh, grew up in Allentown and Jersey Shore and all that area and stuff like that. So uh, they met at school, actually. My dad was going to George Washington. My mom was going to American. And, and uh, they met and uh got married and moved to, moved to Texas. So, and so I was seven years old when we moved to Texas and about that time, um, not really knowing what was going on in the soccer world, just, um, it was just kind of the, the beginning of the old NASL with, uh, like at the time with like the Rochester Lancers and, uh, Atlanta chiefs. And, and so I started playing soccer on seven just by sheer accident. And, uh, I was, playing hooky from school at second grade, I think it was, and I was jumping out of a swing and 
my backyard broke my arm and I, because of that I couldn't sign up for football and came home a couple of days later with this form about playing soccer and signed up and I guess you'd say that kind of the rest is history but at that time uh, it was the beginning of the old Dallas tornado with Ron Newman and um, those guys bring come into town and, and stuff and uh, they were very very involved in the community and just really formed kind of a love affair with the team and the players and became very engrossed and, and, and my dad got very engrossed in the, in the game and coaching and being an administrator for the Spring Valley Soccer Association and and just fell in love with it and just kind of grew up with it and grew up with with the with the tornadoes and uh, you know it's a it's a sad time in my life because I'm dating myself where I'm seeing like people like Brian Harvey who just passed away and yep. a, a Wolfgang Sunholtz who just passed away. Didn't know that. Mike, Mike Renshaw, who was my first really club coach who played for Dallas and passed away and you're going, shit, you know, you're getting old and, and uh, a little scary a little bit, but it, um, I look back a bit really fond memories of being involved, I think in the golden age of, of American soccer and how, how it really got started and got going. And then obviously is, you know, the cosmos got involved and, you know, really cha changed the landscape because of uh, the great players they were able to afford and to bring over and, and it forced the other franchises either to you know, either pack their bags and go out of business or try to match them. And if you sit back and really look at that period of time, the great players that came to, to the States to play, the granted most of them were, were overage or a little, you know, in retirement. But um, what what I found that most of those guys were really superhuman beings and were really, really wanting to give back to the game and, and do something positive and and, and create a legacy. And um, and because of that, you know, the great play ended up coming and, and I think just literally changed the face of of American soccer. Had because of. I think probably because of Lamar Hunt's association with the league at the time, you know, Dallas got the first game against New York on TV. Um, mm. And then we got to win in preseason. The next year they played a preseason game in Dallas, the old Omi stadium it was pissing down raining and nil nil to the last couple of minutes. And, you know, Dallas gives away free kick and play steps up and scores a free kick from about 20 out to win the game and stuff. And, and you just, don't realize what kind of impact those type of moments uh, make on you as a, as a young player and, and someone that's falling in love with the sport and until uh, uh, you, till you look back and, and say, wow, you know, I was really lucky to see some of those people play live. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the Bobby Moores, the Cruyffs, the Pelé's, the Beckenbauer's, the George Best's. You know, Nini Cabillas, who I had a chance to work with on the federation level. Um, you know, that we would go out in between federation meetings, either down in Florida or up in Portland. And it was like being in college and somebody's taking your money at pool. He would go out and take money, people's money on free kicks. You know, so I bet you I can bend it here, put it there, over the wall, around the corner. You know, and everybody would try to, uh, sure, you know. And, you know, the guy probably made more money than that than he did a stipend for the week. But uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, you know, you look back on it, and uh, and what's really frustrating sometimes a little bit is the uh, you talk to the, the the players today, and they have no idea who the hell these people are, yep. and um, which is which is kind of disappointing. And um, 
Um, but it just shows that you've got to the the league, even if the MLS needs to do something to try to uh, remember those players, because there wouldn't be an MLS without those players, and there would be an MLS with the without Hunt and the owners and some of those people that, uh, <clears throat> as we used to say, you know, we joke around the best way to the best way to <clears throat> make a fortune in soccer is start with a large one because you end up with a small one. <laughs> Lamar Hunt said that, didn't he? Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> All right. So one one of the things I want to let people know is uh, obviously you have a lot of licenses. You have yep. the English football, you have the United Soccer A, you have the Irish Football Association Grade One, you have the United European Football Association A from Wales, you have the uh, the UEFA Pro License from uh, the Scottish Football Association. What, in your opinion, could you share with us are some of the major differences? in the theories that they're teaching? Well, that's a great question. Uh, if you notice, the common theme is they're all come from English-speaking countries because I can't speak another language. So <laughs> I, I was kind of stuck. So um, <clears throat> the, the thing was is um, probably the biggest differences were um, the attitude of the staff and the attitude of, of, of the of the federation that you were in at the time, and probably the biggest, biggest way to describe the differences, somebody would say, and I'm, and I'm not slagging on anybody, but saying like, so the, the the English had a reputation of telling you what to coach, and uh, the the Scottish or somebody else would tell you not how to coach it. In the sense of that, look, you know, it's it's uh, there's more than one way up Mount Everest one of the great Tony waiters. And I think that's one thing I always took, took away from it is, you know, the, just because I didn't ha have your socks pulled up and your shirt tucked in all the time, didn't mean you were a qualified or a good damn soccer coach. And sometimes, you know, with, with the English FA, it was very stringent, very this, very that. And, um, and I think it was part of the, t the issue was part of the time was they were trying to create a, a level of professionalism within an industry that really had no structure or no educational platform at the time and um, trying to give credence to those people and those responsibilities, you know, because, um, you know, for a long time, a lot of those clubs, the teams weren't selected by a manager or a coach they were selected by a board. The board, and, yeah. And the board of trustees or whoever would, you know, basically hand the list at five to three, here's the team and stuff. So, um, you know, but the, the the biggest thing is is um, and it's still a goal of mine. And one reason I ended up doing the the pro license, I was the first American to get it at all. Period. Was I still have a goal um, to to coach abroad at some point? Um, and that really kind of stems from my the experience I had when I when I was eighteen. And yeah, do, yeah, don't don't get into that yet because you're okay. taking away some of the questions. Okay. Asked, but but just, I, I just wanted to have that driving and, yeah, and, 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 to, and to do it, you know, to, and to do it, you've got to have that qualification. And um, it um, nowadays it's not as, as prevalent, but way back when it was, you were very looked looked down upon as a player and a coach over there at that time. Yeah. In, you know, another thing I want people to know in, in 1994 in the World Cup here, you were a member of the uh, United States soccer um, coaching staff. Yes, sir. Um, first, what was it like to get appointed to it? And B, share with us your role in the World Cup 
um, because you got to assist FIFA with some, you know, reports and things like that. So go into some detail on, you know, that journey that you got to, you know, once in a lifetime do. Well, it was, it was, uh, it was, and I got to thank coach Gansler and uh, coach Durkin for helping me get over the, the nod. I'm a old Dallas Cowboy fan and, uh, you probably guys don't remember, but um, uh, 1975, they had uh, 12 draft choices made uh, their, that team that year with Randy White and some people like that. And they called them the Dirty Dozen. Hey, called the Dirty Dozen. And uh, so that year leading up to the World Cup, I got a, a letter out of the blue from U.S. Soccer. It was signed by Coach Gansler saying that had been identified as a potential addition to the national coaching staff and that, you know, that, that was going to be happening. And, uh, that year they brought on 12 new people. And so we kind of called ourselves the, the dirty dozen. And, uh, and, uh, it was, you know, very, very exciting and, and, and very privileged to have that opportunity. Um, uh, and the, the responsibilities we had, we had, you know, we would have to, we were given, uh, sites that we would have to, uh, monitor for training with the teams who were coming into certain sites for training. We would have to be given interview assignments for the coaches for those teams to, um, you know, we would give them questions for the Federation and, um, you know, just to get ideas of what they were doing, how they were doing things, what kind of problem they were having to overcome, those type of things. And then when we got to game times, we were responsible for taking statistical data from, um, Ball in and out of ball in and out of play, free kick stuff, substitutions, um, scores, all those type of things that uh, that at the end of the of the tournament we would help turn in and calculate, which FIFA then would start to use to help put together their major reports and everything. So it was a it was a heck of a time, and it was very very exciting, and uh, just to be up close in front to see some of the great teams and great players. Uh, really helped change the face. Of, really, again, they could make another step of changing the face of soccer in this country. Yeah, you know, uh, again, part of your background is, you know, in when you started the men's program um, there at West Texas State, uh, as they went into Division Two, you had three months to put together a program. Yeah. Uh, when you were the assistant coach with Randy Waldrum with the Houston Dash mm-hmm. with the NWSL, again, you had a very short time to put together programs yeah um you you've you, uh, you know you've mentioned you want to coach abroad you you know you've put on your resume uh working with the trinidad and tobago team with randy yep. at the u17 yep. so obviously you've had a lot of experiences trying to put together programs on a very very short notice yep. what what's been your success in, in doing that well that's a great question um Probably the first thing would be stupidity for accepting those posts. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it, it, I don't know. It just seemed to, my whole professional life, it seems like I've ended up taking on tasks of, of building something or starting something. So that's uh, so one is I, I don't think you can fear the unknown. Okay. Two, you have to have, I think, tremendous amount of confidence in your ability mm-hmm. to put groups together or teams together and to create an environment to, to go after a common goal. And, um, 
And so I think, you know, some of the things you learn is you learn about um, uh, one was you learned to me, you, you learned about doing things of not so much worrying what people can't do, but what they can't do. To me, that was one of the first things. So, you know, we, we, I can't control what you, what you can't do. I can control what you can do. And now how can I put you? So that's one. Second of all is trying to put the player in the unit and always in a position to be successful. Um, you know, again, not asking them to do things that they're not capable of doing. You know, you go into a, a, a college environment or a pro environment or something like that, and you start asking, you know, a 30-year-old pro to do something he's not capable of doing, well, that's just, a, to me, that's just a recipe for disaster um, because he's going to tell you to go take a hike and you're going to get mad and now you have frustration and now you have uh, walls have built up. And so trying to create things recognize what they can do do it well highlight those things put players in in position to be successful <clears throat> and um at the end of the day it's, it was an old quote that i forgot who told to me but it's it's only soccer's a very simple game only complicated by players and coaches right. <laughs> and so keep it simple you know i mean in reality i've been doing this a a long time and uh, John and I've talked, you know, we talk about it. And I don't know if there's really only six or seven times a week. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's really any really new tactics in the world. You know, I mean, there's really, I mean, it, it, it's to me, it's like, well, uh, what you see like the clothing industry, you know, the seventies were the bell bottoms and the eighties were this and the nineties were this and, uh, or the music industry and stuff. And, you know, and so it, 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 it goes in circles, but I mean, I mean, look now, if you look at a lot of pro teams now, whether it's MLS or on TV or your, a lot of teams are now going back to playing a four, four, two. Yep. Um, doing, you you know, a possession based type of style of play. Is that really anything new? Uh, well, it's like the, it's like the, the German Gegen, sorry to interrupt you, but the, yeah. like the German Gegen press and the Russians were doing that in the eighties. So they called it, called it hunting in packs. That's, yeah. That's right. right. That's right. If you and look at very people, yeah. if you, you have gotten a couple of his books, the, the great Dynamo Kiev, Kiev coach talks about the pressing way back when yep. in the, in the seventies and stuff and how, and playing a four-four-three, and how they would press out of it, and why they pressed out of it, and, um, and so it, it, like to me, it all comes back to the common denominator. The common denominator is the player. What can the player do? What can the player can't do? And a great example right now is Everton. Over the last five years, they've probably been through I don't know how many managers, and. Each time they get a new manager, they come in, they buy new players, and it's and you have a bunch of players and a bunch of misfits trying to are good at playing one way or a different way, and there's no time to create a cohesion unit, a cohesive unit, because they're not geared to play a certain way, and the poor guy now is going, okay, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this bit hodgepodge of players. You know, you had Allardyce, you had the Dutch guy. You had uh, Ancelotti, you had all these different for a long time, and now, now they're paying the price. And uh, and I think one of the biggest mistakes, and one of the biggest things that are overrated in 
sports at a high level is consistency at the top. And does that mean ownership? Yes. Does that mean general management? Maybe yes, but coaching as well. You look at the great franchises in the world that had great long periods of success. Hate to say it, Cowboys for 25, 30 years, Manchester United for 26 years, Arsenal for over 20 years, uh, Green Bay Packers for a period of time, the Boston Celtics for a period, you know, for 10 years winning championships. The Spurs. The, I'm sorry? The Spurs. The Spurs with Pop, exactly. You know, what do they have in common? They had great players, but they also had consistency, and they didn't win a championship every, every year, but they were always in the hunt, and you had – Patient ownership, realizing the fact that there's certain things out of control, players form injuries, referees screwing up, making a bad call, whatever goes against you, it's going to happen. But, and you look at the, the poor people that had to follow those people, one, and almost everyone fail, and two, it's taken forever for those franchises mm-hmm. to get back to where they were, uh, I forget, you know, sorry, John, for the great Liverpool teams, which was just Shea, say, in 25 years with Shakely and then yep. Paisley and, and those people, you know, Bear Bryant, Alabama. Yep. And so to me, is, there are is, eight premier league managers though, that have been fired this year. Yep. Like this season. Yeah. It's crazy. But, um, you know, a few years ago we had, uh, used to still try to do a little bit. We had, um, when I did my pro license, one of the gentlemen that was on the course with me was a gen- kind of a guy that was on TV today named David Moyes. And uh, when he, we've been able to maintain a relationship. And when he, uh, when he was about to run out of Manchester United money, because um, he lived on it for six years, um, plus his jobs and stuff, <clears throat> we brought him into San Antonio for a coaching clinic a couple of years ago. And it was great. So personal, so you know, open, open. I'll tell you anything. And, and he said one of the biggest mistakes he made was, was two. One, first of all, was to follow Ferguson, <laughs> and two was to get rid of everybody on his staff. And so, it's sometimes it's better to follow the guy that followed the legend, um, and to do it in that fashion. And so. Because there's there's no patience involved anymore, you know. And right, um, that's I, a really I can, good point I, about I, the about the boot room, Butch. Because yeah. you know, uh, Tim Hogg brought back Steve McLaren. Yep, that's right. United. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Did. No, I did. But this is it. It's just crazy, you know. So I think sometimes, yes, you have to you have to have great players. You got to have great coaching. But I think sometimes the biggest thing is 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 the lack of stability at the top because i think that creates calmness within the organization and, and um, keeps everybody on the same page and stuff like that i mean it's yeah this is sort of a great segue for to hear your path to the top so you know um you, you mentioned you played for the texas longhorn soccer club which yep. was started by ron griffith um and you played on the first american team to win a European tournament in 1978, the Munich Cup. Yep. Um, so I want you to share what the environment was like going through that because, you know, you took a different journey to get to college 
And yep. I want people to hear that. And then, you know, really explain, you, you mentioned the Dallas tornado, but at that time, the Dallas cup was just about to explode. And yeah. so go into what that was like at that time, because a lot of people really don't remember how that got started. And obviously, you know, it's still around with a lot of great memories and great players who played in it, who yeah. are international oh, yeah. stars. So touch a little bit, you know, about that, um, you know, again, I don't want to take any, you know, any steam away on, yeah. on direction of where you want, you know, where you, you know, you went and came back, things like that. So take us through this little journey well, here. Yeah. It was, um, I guess it was, uh, when I was turning 11, I think it was at that point, you could go into so-called select soccer and, um, We'd moved out from Richardson to Rockwall, which is about 20 miles outside east of uh, Dallas. And my parents wanted some more, a little more country living and stuff like that, which killed me because I, I kind of figured my soccer career was over. But <laughs> give, give them credit. They made the, the commitment and the sacrifice to still to, to take me back and forth for training and, and doing all that thing. So I owe a lot to, to their commitment and, and being great parents in that regard. But I can just remember how my dad coming home one one spring and saying, I guess it was about turning 11. He said, Hey, uh, you want to go to Mexico city? I go, uh, sure. What, what are we doing? And he said, well, I got this phone call from this guy named Ron Griffith, who runs the Texas Longhorn soccer club. And he's been watching you play and he wants to take you, you know, put together a, a team to go on this trip to go to, to Mexico city. I said, sure. Let's go you know, sign me up. Let's go. You know, didn't have to ask more than once. So that, that's how I got involved. So that would have been the summer before I really turned, I guess, old enough. And then went, went on the trip, we went to Mexico City, had a great experience on and off the field in terms of, you know, seeing some of the countryside and going to professional games and going to Azteca Stadium and watching a game and then uh, came back and joined the Longhorns. And, and I played my whole youth career with them starting at U11 through under 19 and um, and because of that and the program, because of Ron's vision, you know, he started the club in 68 and was the first club really in the Southwest of the United States to start to do international travel and, uh, start to indulge in some type of paid coaching. That's where he was tied into the tornado and he would be hiring, you know, the, the Kenny Coopers of the world and the George Lays of the world and Neil Cohen's of the world and. Brian Harvey's of the world to come and coach the, the kids, you know, and um, because of that, we were kind of way ahead of everybody. Um, but Ron had a plan and, and, the, and the thing, he had this plan where he would take the, he would take the younger kids and it would either, we would head south where we'd either go to Mexico City or Monterey or something like that for, you know, six, seven days, really short trip. And then he would take the middle group <clears throat> And we would go to Leeds, England, and we would stay at the university there, could go in the dorms in the summer, and we and he would hire English qualified high level coaches to come in and coach the teams. And usually there was enough for three teams. And so we were there usually maybe oh 15, 16 days where we would play, you know, three, four, five games, and we would have training camp. We would train in the morning, train in the afternoon, we'd do some sightseeing. But it was really geared to enhancing the player development of the club. 
And then the, the cherry on the cake was then some type of long uh, European tour with the, as you reach the older ages of the team. And then that group was, that was kind of a crazy because it was, it was a mixture between uh, a rock band, a, a pro sports group, and a bunch of hippies in two or three VW buses driving around Europe playing games and doing stuff. And it was one hell of a trip every year we did it. Incredible. And the game, the teams we would play, I mean, well, Ron would, you know, was fantastic. And um, that was part of the thing. We would end up playing either in the, the Munich Cup or the Helsinki Cup or the Dana Cup. Um, and, you know, one year we ended up playing it. Ron said it was my finest game ever as a Longhorn was we ended up playing the, the regional team from Bayern Munich, excuse me, from um, <clears throat> from Bavaria. Bavaria, yeah. And uh, the kid I had to end up marking that game had just signed a million-dollar contract as a winger to go to Bayern Munich. And <laughs> he, he, he told me that after the game. So and we ended up winning that game, and Ron said it was the best game I ever played in my life. And so – but by the time by the time it was done, I played over you know 100 international matches for the club and seen things that the most pers- most people don't see, uh, especially even if they were involved in soccer at that time. And so, wow, great games, great places to see, great you know. And, and Ron, in fairness, it was just not always a a soccer trip. You know, it was cultural too. I mean. One of the trips in Germany when we went through Germany, you know, we went to Dachau to see the track tricks. The camps, um, going to places where they would reindeer milk because we were in the Arctic Circle and have us dress up in this crazy outfits or going to the Hook of Holland and, and just st- stuff. He was nuts and about stuff like that. So it was, we were very well traveled and very well educated in those regards. And, and uh, just it also what it does it kind of makes you very grateful where you come from, you know, and you see. Yeah. How lucky you are and some of the advantages that you've been granted and some other people haven't. So, so in 1980, uh, and see part of the, part of the, you know, Ron, Ron was very frugal, um, in everything and I'm putting it politely. Um, so <laughs> some of the trips where we would go, we, we would stay with families. If we were going to stay in a, in a, with the older teams, that we'd stay with families or a club, and they would host us and put us up for you know two or three days or whatever. And so over the years, Ron built this these relationships with um, clubs all over Europe and stuff, where we would stay and train and play games and stuff, whether it was in Germany, Sweden, Finland, whatever. And that is the whole premise of the Dallas Cup. That's how the Dallas Cup started. Huh. So so when 1980 was the first year, so part of the requirement was for any of the local teams, they had to host a foreign team. And that was how it started. And that was Ron's, you know, I can remember telling him, you know, his old idea was that he wanted to give back to all those clubs that had been so hospitable to us and over the years of housing these crazy Americans, you know, and crazy these Americans chasing all their daughters and all that kind of stuff all over the place and stuff, <laughs> you know, drinking their beer and stuff. But so uh, that's how it started. And so, uh, uh, I, you know, as a senior and captain of the team, we got to play the very first under-19 uh, final, uh, which we played over at uh, Jesuit Stadium there where Charlie DeLong, believe it or not, is still coaching. Next Dallas Tornado player is wow. 75 years old. Uh, and 
ended up playing against another Dallas tornado, Bobby Moffitt's flame club in the final. And, uh, and not to brag, but, you know, scored a penalty to, to win the game and still have my medal today. And, uh, <laughs> I do. And uh, at that, but in fairness, at that time, nobody had any idea of how the thing would take off in terms of a, a marketing and uh, financial entity. And in, 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 in some point in reality, it's, it's kind of taken some of the romance out of it. And, uh, but it's been a great tournament. And you mentioned, you know, you know, you look at some of the great players have come back and played before they became well-known names, you know, the, the Rooney's and the Beckham's. Uh, yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but Kareem Al- uh, oh, the the basketball player that played for uh, Houston and then played in the NBA, Olajuwon. Olajuwon. He was a a goalkeeper for the Nigerian team when they came over. Um, And, you know, he just never left, you know. Um, He probably would have been pretty good as a goalkeeper. He probably was. And so it's – so I almost have more fond memories of coming back as a coach or just a fan and watching the games I didn't really play in it because I only did for one year, you know. uh, But – Today, people don't know how that really started, you know, and how that really what the whole premise was, and um, it kind of that that it kind of got lost, and people trying to make money out of it, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I would agree. So share, you know, share with us, you know, your 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 journey to England and back, yeah. because you know, when when I was first talking to you, it was really interesting to hear how you got over. And then, unfortunately, it didn't work out and how you came back and went through that path. So, you know, walk us through your high school career and the college scene in 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 your region and then how you ended up in England, how you came back. Okay, well, uh, you know, at that time, with us being the one of the premier clubs in the Southwest, you know, we are, you know, we one of the big things for Ron, we always competed in the McGuire Cup and trying to you know, win the state cup and then go into the to regionals and stuff like that. So we had some pretty good runs with that. Uh, we were never quite successful to win a national championship and everything, but <clears throat> um, I wanted to be a pro. I, and, and I've always kind of had this wild hair up my, you know what, to not to be conventional and try to do something different and do, you know, outside the box. And so uh, I talked to Ron and said, look, I'm, you know, I want to try to be a pro. I don't know if I'm good enough, and this could be just wasting a lot of money or whatever. But he he knew somebody at Rotherham United that was kind of the the GM at the time, the old friend at school friend of his, and Rotherham was in the the old English third division at the time. And uh, what part of the country is that, Butch? Ronnie Moore was the coach at the time, and uh, well, actually, it was not Ronnie Moore. He was the striker, but the the coach at the time was a gentleman named Ian Porterfield who played at play had been a kind of a division two division three players career but his claim to fame was that he was the goal scorer for sheffield united when they beat leeds united with that that great team of brenner and, and, and um oh the, the brothers jack charlton and those peter lormer and those guys when um Don Revy was the manager and they beat him in the FA Cup final. So it was a big, 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 uh, big goal for the division two team. And, and obviously big disappointment for Leeds, but that was his claim to fame, but he was the manager of Rotherham United at the time. And so I went over there and was there about six months and, um, 
so excited to get through the first day and, you know, we're going to get professional training and all this, you know, Ooh, let's go. And so the first day you show up and you know, you get, you get changed and they say, okay, let's go boys. They, they took, ran out to the car park and everybody jumped in the car and they opened the boot and threw the soccer balls in the boot. And next, you know, we're driving down the road and around the corner, up and down around and then come to a screeching halt in front of this white picket fit fence with the grass about six inches high and cows. And so everybody jumps out and I'm just following along because I'm the new guy. The coach gets two, four cones, sets out two goals. We play five aside for an hour or so. Okay, boys, jump in the car, back you go. And you go to the shower and go, holy shit, is this professional training? <laughs> and so, uh, it, and so it was, it was a hell of an eye opener and and then you don't really realize at the time until one day you come into training and all your stuff is thrown everywhere and things like that because all the apprentices, you know, view you potentially as a yeah, threat. Yeah, a job. That's a job. Yeah. And those kids were making like 20 pounds a week mm-hmm. and they would train in the morning and then they would um, would have jobs in the afternoon, whether it was, you know, laundry, uh, clean up the grounds, paint, paint stuff, whatever it was, it was. And in reality, you look back now, it was basically, it was child's labor really was what it was. You know, I mean, you know, Nike would be sued over that kind of stuff in today's world, but um, it was, that's what it was. That's how they, but you know, you come back and you know, you, like you said, your stuff would be all over, thrown over the locker room. It's, you know, you're, you know, and so that, that was interesting and a different dynamic hadn't, hadn't, dealt with that and then so the very first home game we had i forgot who we were playing and so we had to be there at a certain time and you know dress a certain way and uh so we go hey okay we're going, we're going to the locker room at halftime so we go to the locker room at halftime and it's a square room it's got the just a table in the middle with the, the biggest tea cup thing i've ever seen in my life is about like a cooler five gallon cooler hot tea with cups and you needed a sword to cut the smoke it was so smoky in the locker room and i'm thinking holy crap these are professional athletes bags at halftime right and this was halftime of the game and yeah. uh you know he's effing and beating blind in this and that and all you know you know, the guys are standing there smoking their cigarette, drinking their tea, and they put it down, they run back out. And that year, they ended up winning the third division championship. And uh, Ronnie Moore was a player up front who had a pretty good career managing in the lower leagues. And if, if you kind of keep up with that, he, if you'll know, he just got suspended for gambling problems. He'd been betting on his own team and stuff like that. Tony Towner was a winger and scored a bunch of goals and everything. But it was just – one hell of experience of doing that every day and playing against those guys. And at some point you just realize, you know, this, you're not going to be good enough and the reality checks in. And so I've been offered a couple of small scholarships. So I started writing some letters, you know, there were no emails. So I had to write some letters and get the stamps and boom, send them back. And Hey, is there maybe a potential to come back and play or go to school or whatever? And uh, so I ended up going back and going to Midwestern there in Wichita Falls and, with coach Patterson and, you know, he had built a really strong program. He's a Springfield grad up in Massachusetts and done really well. And so I went back and played for him for a spring and just, it wasn't him. I just, 
I did like the school in Wichita Falls. And so I said, I'm going back to England. I went to university at Leeds Poly for two and a half years and ended up playing for the college team and then also played for Geisley Town uh, in the Northern Premier League for two and a half years, which was which was fantastic. And just because of that's kind of how you end up fall in love with the coaching side of it because you, you know, because the school I was going to, you know, they made those opportunities available to take those courses and get exposed to that. And that's kind of how I got started there. And, um, and I seem to get more respect from the players on the coaching side than the playing side. So I don't know what that tells you. <laughs> <laughs> so share with us how you got your first coaching job. And, um, you know, you mentioned to me, a uh, gentleman that was active in your life, Dave Rubinson. So, yep, yeah, you know, I mean, going to going to a little bit of that there. Yeah, well, kind of what happened there was, you know, got got done with going to school in England, and uh, just was there almost three years. And um, again, great experience. Meet a bunch of people. One of my roommates was a guy named uh, John Armfield. Uh, his dad was Jimmy Armfield, ex-captain of England. Um, oh shit. Uh, played at Blackpool his whole career. At that time, he, he had was, had, and then after playing, he ended up managing Leeds United uh, when they he was in charge of the Leeds team when they went to Germany, and lost to the UEFA Cup f- final over the referee decision. And uh, uh, but the time he was doing radio work for BBC, and uh, really perfect gentleman. And uh, if he wouldn't have been injured in '66, he would have been the right back for England in 66. And um, so he would come. And at the time when, when I showed up, John, his son was on the books at United as a goalkeeper. So John would come and go a lot. He'd be going down to Manchester and training and stuff like that. So we we still talk today. I mean, uh, we're still really good friends. And unfortunately, his dad just passed away a couple of years ago, just old age and stuff. And <clears throat> But one, one of the Easter's a big school holiday for them over there. And so mm-hmm. uh, didn't have any place to go. So John took me home to his house there in Blackpool. And so we spent spent the time there. I can still remember sitting down with his dad and his dad had this glass case where he had all his caps from England. And he'd say, well, this is when I played against Pelé. This is when I got Sabio and this is here and all the stories. And, then he, and it was so funny that he pulls out this trash bag and he pulls his trash back out, you know, out of the closet or whatever. Starts then pulling out all the jerseys that he'd swap with, you know, this is here, this is that. And so he he would just tell stories about the games and the players he played against. And you're just going, you just, you, I just was like a sponge. And he, he told this one story where before he got hurt, Pelé, uh, Brazil was, had come a year over in 65, 64 to kind of do a, lay of the land tour and stuff like that for the games before the world cup in 66. And so they kept hearing about this young kid named Pelé, this super play, play, play. That's all we heard about. So, so uh, Jimmy was a right back for, for Blackpool in England. And so he go out there playing and play, you know, they have some one-on-one confrontations and send the balls, you know, bouncing around off his shit, off his knee and stuff. And then, so he, comes, so he comes in at halftime. He goes, hey, this Pelé kid, I don't know why it's so special. He's not that good. And then he, after he realized that he would, he, Pelé would dribble up to him, 
play a one-two off his shin and get the ball back and dribble past him. And he realized he was doing it on purpose. And, and so he said that he had a whole, whole new level of uh, appreciation of his ability and stuff. And so it was classic, you know, playing a one. I mean, who would think of playing a one-two off somebody's shin, you know, off the opposition? That's classic. So, wow. But um, – so that I got exposed. So while we we're there, we did a, a, a. At that time, there was only two coaching courses that the FA did. They did a prelim and a full batch. So while we we're there at Blackpool, they had a, what they call a prep course, and uh, uh, a gentleman that had you guys might know, but Dick Bates, who just passed away a couple of years ago, he used to be the manager of Boston and United, and he was part of that group that came out late on the teachers that kind of took control of the FA and stuff. <clears throat> and uh, he did, we did this prep course to help prepare to take the full batch. And it was just a brilliant, you know, again, the guy did such a great job. You know, okay, this is what I want to do. And you just fall in love with it again and more and, and stuff. And, uh, um, but the problem is I couldn't go any further because I wasn't a British passport holder. And so that forced, if you wanted to go any further, that forced me to find different alternatives like the Irish or the Scottish to do things differently. And like I said, that's kind of how it went in that direction. So, but I can remember when I went to Belfast to do the pro license, uh, that was kind of crazy because you flew into Gatwick. And at that time, as they call them, the troubles were still troubles. Damn. No joke. And so you go into Gatwick and you go, okay, go to, you know, Looking at why you got Belf, you look for the flight for Belfast and has the signs. And the further you follow the signs, and the further it goes away from them. And there's less people, and there's less people, and then there's more soldiers, and there's more soldiers, and there's less people, and there's more dogs. And you're going, where in the hell am I going? And so you get on the plane, fly in, and people were fantastic and friendly, but I mean, it was like a war zone. I mean, we were at St. Queen's College up on the hill, and the British soldiers would be in, in formation jogging around the town and there'd be a helicopter flying over the field, just sitting there the whole time watching what was going on, taking video of all the movements of the IRA and everything. And you're just going crazy, man. It was just totally different, but it's changed now, but it was <clears throat> kind of, kind of intense at that time. Wow. So, so anyway, so I went to England, came back and then came back and got involved in the oil and glass business. and was coaching for the Longhorns and, uh, had passion for the coaching, didn't have any pa passion for the oil and gas business. And uh, at that time was the beginning of the Title IX boom. And so Coach Rubinson <clears throat> called me and said, hey, we're going to they're going to hire me full time. Um, and then, well, what happens, I came back first and went to went to finish my school at, at uh, TCU, graduated and then went to the oil and gas business. And then a year later, Coach Rubinson called and said, hey, we're going to add full-time women's team, full-time men's team. They're going to hire me full-time. They need a GA. I need a GA. Do you want to come back? I said, sure. So I went there and helped Dave, uh, Coach Rubinson work with the men's team, but help them build the women's program from scratch. Uh, so, and then for then after that, I had done some work with uh, Roy Reese and the other under-17 national team and Bobby Howe and sleeping on hotel floors when they were putting together national teams. And he, when I graduated, he called me, hey, he was working for the Texans down in Houston and said, hey, they're looking for another trainer. Would you this interest you? And I said, sure. So I had to eat and support myself. So I went down and took that job. And then in three years, we 
rekindled the club. We had 800 kids involved, 12 full-time select teams. And we had two, two to three full-time trainers that we had hired and stuff. It was really going in the right direction. And then uh, I kind of fell into the WT job. And so I'm still yeah. here. So. Yeah. Now, you know, John had shared with me when he asked, hey, can you know we get Butch on? And I said, sure. What do you think? one of the special things he has, he says, oh my gosh, he's got some Pele stories. <laughs> so I'm hoping, you know, here at the conclusion, you can share some of the Pele stories that John has been talking about. Well, well the, Shin, the Shin one I've forgotten about, but that is yeah. one of the first stories Butch told me, I think in like 1987. <laughs> that blew, that is crazy. Well, you know, it's, uh, he, he became an idol for me. And uh, so like, you know, some of the stories were already told, you know, where I got to see him play in Dallas in the rain. And uh, one of probably one of the biggest things for me personally was um, after I'd been here a couple years in the job, uh, <clears throat> the, the elder Twil Twilman, who used to work for Umbro, uh, he, he was our rep. And so um, th that year, I don't remember what year it was, that year the convention was in St. Louis. And so he goes, hey, Butch, he says, um, you come to the same for the convention? Yep, come to the convention. Oh, great. <clears throat> he says, the rumor is Pelé's coming to, to the convention. And because of Umbro, and he's an Umbro guy and all that stuff right now, we're going to have this special party for Pelé, and you're buying it, and you're some tickets. So uh, I couldn't tell you where, they went, where we went. It was kind of a small, intimate place, maybe 50 people, maybe 60 people, maybe. You know, if you've been to the conventions, you know, I'm not telling you anything different, you know, especially the early on day, you know, a lot of drinking and people having a good time. And so he, Umbro kind of does their sales pitch and, you know, the dog and pony show, why you should buy this boot, why you should buy this jersey and all that stuff. And then, you know, special, and then we have this special guest, blah, blah, blah. And they bring him out and I, I just lost it. I just <laughs> broke down and I just... Bald like a baby, and it, it was like just re you could just reach out and touch him. I'm going, holy shit! I'm touching Pelé, and you know, and uh, so it's really not a funny story, but uh, it's just it was such a uh, emotional connection that I mean, it was almost for me it was almost like a religious experience, you know that you'd, you'd, you'd I'm, I'm touching God exactly, and uh, what. And I'm sure he he thinks he does, and God rest his soul. But the amount of goodwill he did around the world for people, and how he changed a lot of people's lives and stuff like that. And uh, I'm trying to forget who was standing. To, the friend of mine I was standing next to at the time. I just lost him. He's put his armor. It's okay, much. It's okay. It's all right. We'll be all right. We're having another drink here. We'll be all right. You know. But um, but it was just that you know. And uh, I, I just been very fortunate and. Uh, you know, we've been very pretty successful here you know we've we've you know we've ended up having you know we've created a really good environment here with facilities for our, our players and we play at a pretty good pretty high level you know we've produced about you know, 20 professional players and now we've had you know some national team kids come out of here and davy ardott's probably our most famous player who's now the assistant at austin but he he came out early in 2000. He was a Bob Ganser draft choice from Kansas City, and 
ended up becoming captain of Kansas City and then captain of Montreal and then captain of DC United. And, uh, and we found this kid in, in Nederland, Texas, which is a small town outside of Beaumont. And, you know, most, even most Texans don't even know where Nederland is, and, uh, <laughs> but he's done a great job. And, uh, wow. so we've been fortunate and, uh, but again, it comes back to you have to have strong leadership at the top. You have to have strong presidents and ADs that recognize the value of investing money in infrastructure and, and, and scholarships and things like that. And uh, and people people ask me why I'm still here, and, and you know, the best answer I can give them one is uh, they just keep making it better. And um, you know. The facilities are unbelievable. I mean, you yeah, would think we, we were so LA. we're so fortunate. Uh, we have, we had a, a kid this year just graduate. His dad is is Marco Babel B A B U L, who has has been uh, worked in the Premier League with at West Ham and is this Israeli national team coach and stuff. And he came at Christmas time last year to look at the facility, just see his son and everything. And he's going, "Holy crap, Butch!" He said, "This is better than any of the facilities." In, in Israel for the pro teams. And uh, we're just very fortunate. And um, and the thing is too, we, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in education. And, um, you know, for a long time we were doing these international courses here in Canyon and Amarillo. And, and some of the people that have come through this town that people would be freaking out about the, the high level of soccer people that come through, that have been here. And uh, uh, they love coming here because they can walk down the street and nobody messes with them or they can go do things and stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, we've had like, you know, Craig Brown here. We've had Jans Bengsbo, one of the biggest fitness experts in the world. We had, um, Alan Hodgkin, who was a big time goalkeeping coach for Man United here. Uh, Fritz Bischoff that was on Beckenbauer staff when they won the world cup. Uh, I don't know, some Tommy Muller Nelson, who I met on my pro course was the, assistant manager at uh, Rangers and was the international scout for United. His son played here for us for a couple of years and stuff. So we've been able to tie into really kind of a cool soccer uh, environment here. So it's been great. Yeah. All right, Ryan, I'm going to, I'm going to shut it down here over to Mr. Uh, John Boas rant. So I'll throw <laughs> it over to you. Why do I have to always follow the special guests? Well, it's called show format. Man, you. you know, and go. John, because you're special. That, that's it. Um, for the uneducated, because we like to educate people on the show, the Texas Longhorns are an old original, I would say. What, Scott Gallagher, St. Louis, Green yep. and White, Chicago, Nomads or Surf, California, Texas Longhorns, Dallas. You know, probably one of the reasons I got to get out of Mississippi was because we would go six hours to Dallas and, you know, we'd get shelled. <laughs> Seriously, you know, we under 16s. We play their under 14s and lose seven to one. Um, and then I went to TCU for ODP, and that's where Eric Barr found me at ODP and getting shelled by fucking North Texas. Um, but a nice little caveat to Mr. Lawford, too, is he coached a three old goalies family member, Mark Dodd. Uh -huh. At TCU, transferred to Duke. That's right. Oh, a little trivia there. All right. Played for Eric Water, and daughter was the goalkeeper on the 86 National Championship team. So, which right. is part of the family, yeah. Uh, and the Dallas Cup thing, for those of you who don't know, I worked there when I was doing, what, 
uh, lotto marketing bone, I think of 96 and 97, that was, we spent like a half a million dollars on that thing. <laughs> and the teams, so we got, we got AC Milan to come over because right. they were a lotto team, but Ajax was there. That's where I met Franz Hoke, who introduced yep. me. To, yeah, I mean, and it was like what said, you're sitting there and I'm watching these other 17s, you know, and then a year later, I'm watching the Serie A and this kid's playing right back for fucking Inter. I mean, it's, it was a truly world-class uh, event. Uh, I haven't watched it. It was on ESPN on Easter Sunday, the under-19 finals on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, I mean, high quality. And then, of course, the Texas boys would rig it, so they got to play Ajax and AC Milan. <laughs> but but uh, a true but, – but, but Bush is right, that golden age, the 70s, you know, you think about Europe and America – Anyway, um, I didn't do a lot of prep this week for the rant around global football because I worked so hard on my top five songs. Okay. <laughs> and when, you, when you hear my top five songs, uh, Raber and Bone and Ryan, you will know why my rant around global football is so truncated this week. Um, but uh, we will skip that for now. We'll talk about uh, European footy. I don't know anything about MLS until Ryan just told me that the NASCAR Derby was won by Atlanta and Charlotte. Yeah, three nothing. Yeah. So um, there, there's that. We'll cover a little bit of that real okay. fast at the end. Yeah. You are the expert on real estate. I'm not. So you, you guys can <laughs> talk about the MLS. Uh, I, I The Spanish League, of course, always top heavy, but I think Barcelona's pretty much got that wrapped up. The three teams that are going down. Nobody really cares. Um, I don't think Real Madrid is going to catch uh, Barcelona. Um, but it does tell you a lot about the level of England. We talk about, you know, Real Madrid just smashing uh, Liverpool into dog doo-doo uh, 5-2. And then they got to go down to Spain, Real Madrid, and play them again on Wednesday, which is a fruitless game. Um, but Barcelona is going to win that league. Uh, Italy which is cool because we like Diego Maradona on this show. They're going to, Napoli is going to win the Italian league. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to Napoli, but it is not a place you want to be stuck outside in the dark. It is, <laughs> it is, I mean, it is the worst city in New, in New Jersey type uh, mob scary. Uh, and I have a lot of New Jersey buddies, so I'm, that's, not, that's not an insult, uh, but it is a dangerous, crazy town and they are looked down upon by the romans and the milanese uh, culturally is a bunch of rednecks so i always like rednecks of course liverpool napoli vicksburg mississippi we'd fit um, right respect. in yes, <laughs> yes. that's right that's right rapes freaking southern boys um and then what is kind of weird is um because everything revolves around liverpool for me uh sampdoria is probably going to go down and you remember graham sunas who's the captain of liverpool played at sampdoria butch yeah that's right um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of those English guys, famous English guys went down to Italy, but anyway, uh, and then Germany, you know, insert whatever you want there. It's Bayern and Dortmund, right? Uh, the feel good story in Germany, of course, is this FC Freiburg yep. where, uh, yep. Where, um, I think we mentioned this before. Who's the Cosmos goalkeeper, uh, Hubert Birkenmeyer was from, um, but they're in fifth place. They, they're pushing hard for the champions league, but Bayern's going to win the league as they do every year. Um, and then our boy, uh, you know, Klaus Butchie is at the CEO of Werner Bremen. And yeah. I think Butch is sending some players over there soon, aren't you? We are. We're sending a couple guys over for preseason and we're waiting to yep. wait them to, to see if they're going to have any guys free that they don't sign, you know, coming out of their academy. So we're holding, holding back a little money in case that happens. 
That's wonderful. He uh, Klaus, Klaus is the squad. Berman, Berman's, what's that? Should tie in the squad. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We will have to tell Butch about that. I forgot Jeffett Johnston. Um, but anyway, um, but Vern Berman sitting, I think, 11th. So they might, might, might not even make it to the Europa League. But again, it's, and then in France, as always, who gives a shit? <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain spends how much money on these guys? And they have what arguably the best player in the world right now and one of the top four to ever touch the football in Messi. And they can't get past the round of 16 in the European Cup. So I put them in the, in the level with it. So it's an easy league. And Bobby's going to have to leave, hopefully, uh, and go to England so we watch him play in a real level with, you know, like this Holland freak show. Uh, that would just be wonderful for him to, be, you know, end up at a big club. Uh, it's over know. seven million euros a week. Yeah, their payroll. Yeah, it's you know, and they France um, has the special tax bracket for celebrities and the football players go into that, so it's a lot lower than England. Um, you music lovers out there, since we are doing a music segment later, the Rolling Stones made a double album called Exile on Main Street in France protesting the 70% tax they had to pay in England. Um, but that's the allure for France. And plus you don't get kicked. Um, but now let's talk about real football. So this is so cool. So if you talk about England, you're talking about hardcore football. And the reason I don't watch MLS, the bottom nine teams in the 20 team English premier league are separated by five points. The bottom three go down to the championship, the championship, which is their, their triple A baseball, and they'll come up. So that right there, the level, you cannot take a day off. Just look at Liverpool losing to Bournemouth. Look at United, 0-0 yesterday. There are no days off in this league. And I'm telling you, the remember 2012, Ryan, you're the, you're the, the date guy, but Guerrero <laughs> scored the goal with no time left, and they won the league on the last kick of the season. For Man City, the best part about that was all the United players had to watch it on TV. <laughs> um, so they beat they nudged United on the last kick of the season. And then last year, um, Liverpool was in first place with 16 minutes left. And they City court scored three goals to beat Villa. Thank you, Steven Gerrard, three to two. Um, but this this April and this May, especially, are gonna get, look like June 6, 1944 at Omaha Beach. It is going to be <laughs> ugly. And, there, and it is literally going to be the second half on that Sunday. Those nine teams. Now, I think 11th through 7th is separated by four points. Villa's not going to push to get into Europe, you know. But then you got – it gets easy from there because you have six points. Or let's see, six through third is separated by seven points, and nobody wants to finish fourth. Fourth, Liverpool's terrible. Newcastle's not any good. Spurs, who knows who's going to show up for them? Um, and the league's basically over, right? It's going to be City or Arsenal, and Arsenal's got what a five-point cushion now. But yep. nobody's catching those two. Um, and this is my argument. I'm so glad Butch said that about continuity at the top because everybody's been blowing ten hogs since he's been there. <laughs> and they're only eight points above Liverpool. There's 16 points. Behind Arsenal. Okay? And they're eight points above Liverpool and the worst season Liverpool's had since, what, 2000? So it's ridiculous. These guys are not Jesus or Allah or, you know, <laughs> anything else. The Easter Bunny, anything else fictitious. Um, but Yeah, John, they're just playing just a tip. There's, there's no difference in Easter Bunny and Jesus. We'll get to that on another show. 
Um, but um, but that but that that struggle for that last Champions League spot is also going to be a very interesting weekend in May. Um, just going to be just wonderful. So um, it's that, that's why it's the best league in the world. They got more players are coming next year. You know they're talking about getting Klopp out of there. He's only been there seven years. It's ridiculous. Um, so that's kind of my truncated uh, European spin of the week. Um, and then because I'm really saving my big guns <laughs> for the top five best favorite John Boa songs of all time. Back to the studio. Hey, can I throw in one thing? The Riverhounds got a draw last night uh, against Birmingham. So good for uh, Bushy and his new club. Oh, the Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yes, Johnny Bush. Yes, and you notice I didn't mention anything about Klopp not going for two against Manchester United. It would have been 8 nothing. Um, after they scored that touchdown uh, against those motherless fucks from Manchester. So, hey, Braves, what in. was the attendance? Do you know or could you? I do not know. No. Okay. Know. So, right. so, what the, club is the what, Pittsburgh what, attendance? Yeah. Yeah, I can look that up. But Is that the top level of the USL that they're in? Yes. Yeah. They call that the championship too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I had the. Who's the head coach? Hey, John. Bob Lilly. Bob Lilly. Bob Lilly. He, yeah. he played for the Cowboys. Um, anyway. <laughs> but uh, I had John Bush for his pro B license in Cocoa Beach. Got about that. Tell you, what, a, what a nice gentleman. The Cocoa yeah. Expo. Coco Expo. The Dorms. The Dorms. That was the regional team before they moved to Birmingham, and that was an interesting place. Yeah, when the roaches were bigger than the alligators. So. Yeah, well, they call them palmetto bugs down there because you can't say roaches. Okay. <laughs> Especially when you walked in the canteen. Yes, no doubt. So that game was played at Birmingham, so it's. I'll have to dig for some – some statistics there. Hey, Butch, for the, for the 1994 World Cup, were you in Dallas the whole time? Yeah. Okay, so they played the Cotton Bowl. Yes. I think I I think I came down and watched the game together. I was yep. in Chicago, but okay. okay. Yep. So freaking hot. It was. Oh. Yeah, and, yeah, and we had to wear suit and tie the whole time. No. <laughs> All right, Brian. We're throwing it back to you here. I'm looking up stats. You guys killing me with oh, what's the oh, attendance. <laughs> Tried to find that attendance from that match last night. Um, the draw between the Riverhounds and Birmingham Legion. Because that um, league's getting some good numbers, aren't they? They have been for a few years. Pre-COVID, they were really seeing a spike in attendance. Um, and it, it helped that you had Cincinnati selling out every every night, essentially, yeah. um, when they, before they went to, to the um, Realtor League, as you say. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, Birmingham, their, their stadium seats like 47,000. I'm sure it wasn't a sellout, but it was probably a pretty, pretty solid attendance. I would they play at Legion Field, but, yeah, yeah, probably in Hoover, yeah. Um, but I can't find it right off the jump. Music for the show is provided by the Floodgate Operators. Be sure to check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. The three old goalies are brought to you by the squad. Dot com because everybody loves the W. Check out the squad for all your recruiting needs. Yeah. So, all right. So we, I challenged everyone on the on the show this week to find their five favorite songs of all time 
mainly because it just gets to lets our uh, listeners kind of get to know our hosts a little bit and and sometimes it's fun to to get outside of the the penalty box so to speak um and, and think outside the box boa you want to go last is that right oh yeah no, it's that, really, the only thing that matters even it's a it's a distant second place but football is all that matters in the world well, other than your family right so football and then music is second other than that I mean, okay well and that for me it's very similar right so um i'll 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 start if you guys don't mind um because i know that some of these are going to catch catch people off guard um but i do want to share evs as well um because he sent his rather quickly yeah like yeah within, that, that's the within whole thing, like right? within right. like an hour well evs are easy they're all jimmy buffett songs aren't they uh no they're not all jimmy buffett songs <laughs> but there's two of them um but it was funny so evie and i actually share one um raves is that a world cup ticket that's a world cup ticket from 1994 boston i saw maradona's last game nigeria wow yeah argentina versus uh had a hat trick and uh maradona hit a uh penalty and yeah yeah because he was nice because he was nice. supposed to, he was supposed, they were going to play Nigeria in the, I think the quarters in Dallas, and that's when he got popped for the narcotics. That's right. <laughs> he was buying cocaine from the Argentinian MISL players. Well, he said '94 <laughs> World Cup. When Argentina won it, I went and found this and was like, "Oh wow, that's yeah." Hang on to that yeah. one. Yeah, hang on to that one. All right, all right. Good job. So, favorite songs of all time. So. There's no qualifiers, right? We said just your favorite five songs. I know for Bone, it was super hard to break it down it to was. five. It was. Butch, how did you do? Did it, was yours an easy five list? or was it, was, it... it was a hard. It was a hard okay. five list, actually. But All right. It's, it's almost impossible. Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Bone and I talked for, I want to say we talked for about 35, 45 minutes about it because... Like I, I shared with him, two of my favorite artists of all time are Michael Jackson and Prince. Um, and none of their songs are in my top five. <laughs> like, but I would tell you catalog wise, like I really like their stuff. Right. Um, so the one that um, Evie and I shared actually was Come Monday by Jimmy Buffett. Um, he also had Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. Um, Wipeout by the Safaris. There's got to um, be some Beach Boys in there. Oh, no, no, no. 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 I, I thought the same thing, too, as I was. I saw the first two and went, okay, are we going to, am I going to get, like, in my room? What are we going to get from the Beach Boys? Like, who are we at? Um, then Harvest Moon by Neil Young. Um, and then growing older but not up, which pretty much sums up Ev's personality to me. Um, <laughs> so we got two, like, two Jimmy Buffett songs in the top five for Ev. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because that was Jimmy Buffett as well. But tell me that that one it doesn't perfectly fit the Ev that we know and love. Like, <laughs> like I was like, all right, I could see that. Um, so this is a true story. When I was in high school. Um, I was listening to Bare Naked Ladies in the car, and it was lying in bed just like Brian Wilson did, and he yelled at me 
for uh, basically speaking ill of the Beach of, Boys. Of the Beach like, Boys? Hey, they're not speaking ill, man. Like, we're good. No. And he was so mad. And I think he killed me at training that night. It was really yeah. <laughs> You're doing suicides the whole time. Oh, no. It was, uh, yeah. Up, downs, up, down, <laughs> up, up down, down, up down, up down, up down, up down. Yeah, up down. All right. So my list had come Monday on it as well. Um, by far one of my favorite songs. Um, At Last by Etta James, um, which is an oldie. Which uh, You see Bones' face if you're watching the... Because <laughs> he would have not expected that no, one at God. all. I didn't you know, know you know Etta James. James. Your wife appreciates it, I'm sure. Um, it is, but it is one of my favorites. Um, and I am kind of shocked that it made the list because I thought maybe it wouldn't, but it's like right in there, like five, six. Um, please come to Boston. Oh, good one. Um, well, I like the Reba McIntyre version. There you go. But Dave, Dave Loggins was the, the original artist on that. Oh, of Loggins and Messina, right? I believe so. That sounds right. Look that one up. Boston. Yep, that's the, that's the one, Butch. Um, and then I I knew that I had to get some uh, notorious Big in here somewhere because um, I knew like I knew that Bone was going to expect some of it, and then Raber brought it up pre-show. Um, but been around the world. Uh, you mean Jim Nash or Jet? So <laughs> so been around the world, which was on the No Way Out album with uh, Puff Daddy and the Family. Yeah. Notorious B.I.G. was featured in that post post mortem, um, and then one that I know Bone is not a fan of at all: "The Man Who Sold the World" by Nirvana from the Unplugged album, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I think that's probably just because of my age. I think everybody that was is around our age, Raver, had to like. Yeah, like I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> you guys know who wrote that song? I've got Pearl Jam on mine, so it's fine. Do you guys know who wrote that Nirvana song? The man who sold the world. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was David Bowie. You can say that because you're right. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Bring it. All right. Let's let's have let's have our, our guest Butch. Okay, I'm looking at my list here. Um, I sent him into. I, I forgot him, but I have. It's okay. Uh, I got him here. If you want me to go. Yeah, you, you mind reading them out? No problem. Uh, one of one of the greatest songs ever, "Leaving on a Jet Plane." Yep. Wow. Um, John Denver. Yep. Also, um, Baez. One of. I sing, yep. I sing it to my kids when I leave. Yeah. Nice. One song. This song almost cracked my top five, but I've I uh -oh. figured it would be on somebody else's. Uh, "American Pie," Don McLean. Yep. Right on. Uh, Bone, you'll appreciate this next one because we talked a little bit about this on Saturday. Tainted Love. Oh, off sell. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And then, um, my favorite uh, Rod Stewart song ever is on Butch's list. Uh, Maggie May. Oh, oh, I, I, I had I had in my in my top fifty. Every picture tells a story, don't it? Yeah. Yeah. But Red Rock was a useful football player too. Yes. Yep. Watch yes. Yeah. Celtic fan. Yep. And, and then football. his final one on his top five is My Way, Frank Sinatra, which is a standard, right? Yep. Like yep. well done. 
very, but very, I, very solid list there, Butch. I could, if I could tell you a quick, quick story about the Don McLean one when, uh, yeah. when I got to see him live when I was going to school in England. He was doing a just a countrywide acoustic tour, and we, and he did this. Did it, he was doing like school gymnasiums and stuff like that, and so we went to Huddersfield town, and it was just him. A stool and acoustic guitar, and he did the whole concert like that. It was unbelievable. So, wow, I saw Clapton that way. Yep, (coughs) whoa, what that? Yeah, um, that was by far the best show I had ever seen. Um, and it was it was a very small, intimate setting for the Clapton show. What's that Um, Clapton joke? He would never let a bag of cocaine fly out a window (laughs) because didn't his child like fall out of the third? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ugh. Yeah. All right, Rabes, you're up, my friend. So I went old school, new school, um, and all of it has meaning for my family. So, Rye, I send it to you. Do you have it? I do. Okay, now hold on, hold on. Rabes, were you able to do it quick? Like, what was your, your at? You heard it took. Based, hold on. Based on this list, there's no way this was done quickly. Oh, not done quickly. There's no, no freaking um, way. Okay. There's a lot of edits. Um, <laughs> I'll even hold it up. There's a lot of edits. <laughs> a lot of them. No, that's a, I understand it. All right, yeah. Ryan, give it. Give it. All right, you have to realize too. So let me preface this. Our family listens to music all the time. Yeah. And in the kitchen, it's with the kids. I have 14, eight-year-old. We listen to music all the time. Amy and I are very music. So we did the best we could based on time constraints, but five. I like the list. Five songs is hard. <laughs> it is. Okay, so Wild Horses, the Rolling Stones with Dave Matthews. Yep. Yep. I um, mean I danced that at our wedding. Have you oh. heard the have you heard Wild Horses, the Rolling Stones with Florence from Florence and the Machine? I have not. That I you, you, clearly you have, it thank you for getting me late tonight. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Are, the grand, are the Grand Parsons? Yes. The grand, the grand you are welcome. Just don't say my name in the middle of it. You'll be all right. <laughs> the grand Parsons, yes. Ryan, that's a rule we have. Sorry. It's just. You know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's so go. good. All right. Uh, just Breathe by Pearl Jam, which I appreciate. As Bone knows, Pearl Jam, the Seattle bands, it's, it's an age thing. It's if a Raber, generational thing. If, if Raber didn't have a, a Seattle band on his list, I would call bullshit. Nothing wrong. <laughs> we were surly with bull haircuts and one mm-hmm. earring. When I had hair, it was it was my left ear, by the way. Um, so Hurricane by Luke Combs, um, which I'm sure not everybody on this call knows. Well, I'm sorry. No, I'm more familiar with the Bob Dylan Hurricane. Well, I'm right. Southern. I mean, I'm I'm adapting to Ohio very That's quickly, a good one. but I'm oh, still Southern. It is, it is a good one. Um, the one that I know came on this list, and I knew this is the one that threw me, and I said, I love this song, and it took him a long time to put together this list. The Bones by Maureen Morris. If the bones are good, it no don't matter. Such a good know. song. They don't know it. It's really good. It's so good. So good. Um, And then Burning Man by Dirk Spentley. Um, But 
a very, very solid list, I have to say. Like, right on. That Maureen Morris song, like when I saw that on your list, I was like, he took this seriously. <laughs> like, I knew. Well, um, I, I mean, I, I was being judged pretty wholeheartedly. She, you know, I mean, we she, did it together. It was a team effort. Yeah. Yeah. Bone, um, uh, Bone and Boa. Listen to both of the last two. Those are good songs. So, for the record, for anybody that's listening to the show or watching the show, there is a public playlist on Spotify with the songs from these lists. Oh. So you can actually go out and listen to all the songs that we've talked about along, oh, cool. along the show. So we'll have it and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes and we'll put it out on our social media pages as well. Once the all show right. goes live. Okay, John. So, all right. So bone, you have a, I have an interesting thing, so I'm going to show it first. I'm, I didn't Careful. know this. You know, which is, good, which is a good thing because you guys are not going to believe it. So, first, a shout out to EV because one of his groups I did this for, and Rabe, we just found out. Okay. So, in college, uh, if you guys remember the Tangerine Bowl in Orlando, Florida, they would host concerts. And a friend, a very dear friend of mine named Mark Stell, uh, who still is alive down there. He said, hey, you want to go work some concerts? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, you get paid. You go in the night before and you take some money, right, so people can park. I'm like, okay, then what? He goes, well, then you go home. You get a few hours sleep. Then you come back and you work the gate. And you're patting people down to let them in. So, you know, if you find any um, guns, knives, weed, um alcohol bottles that's what you're gonna find and i said yeah what so what happens if you do it well your your supervisor will tell you to put the unopened in one big garbage um can and then the opened in another so at the end when at all this is over you'd have you divide it up with your group and you'd have i don't know five six bottles you'd have if you remember back then you couldn't bring cameras in right that was you know not allowed and so people would forget cameras, so you'd take cameras home. So you did this, you loved it, you know, it was great. I didn't hear anything about what you did with the weed. No, no, <laughs> the, the weed, the weed, the weed, the guns and the knives you weren't concerned with because you wanted, you know, uh -huh. those booze, you know, you're a college student. Uh -huh. So very true story. All right. So this is a shout out to Raves and EV. All right. To start. Oh, my God. Yep. I don't know if you can see it, but that says Rolling Stone Security. There you go. Holy shit. How about that shit? Okay, and I didn't buy this shirt, all right? All right, so wow. I have two more. <laughs> so I did Bob Seger with Molly Hatchet. Okay. Molly Hatchet. I did Heart, Blue Usher Cult, Cheap Trick. B-O-C and Cheap Trick? Yep. Orlando. How, you, how about How this? do you keep this shit? <laughs> now, I don't know if you can see the opening group. I just see your butt right now. Oh, okay. I just uh, see your ass. The opening group, the opening group for um, the Stones were Van Halen. Unreal. True story is we always like to tell stories on this show. Unreal. Yeah. So Unreal is right. Here's the, here's the Unreal story about that show. So 
I was working the early morning shift and an old guy comes up to me and hands me a hundred bucks and says, Hey, could you get me some donuts? I'm like, well, how many? He goes like 20 dozen. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I have a green dart at the time. I pull a little like Dunkin' Donuts, something like that. I said, Hey, I need 20 dozen donuts. The guy goes, what? I'm like, I'm going to wait, obviously fill up my car, come back. My supervisor was like, Hey, where'd that guy go? I'm like, I don't know. He gave me a hundred bucks. You know, I got change for him. He goes, okay, hang on. Guy comes walking back. He said, here's all your donuts. Here's your money. He goes, hey, you keep the money. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. Right. So guy takes all the donuts. My supervisor, Hey, is that guy cool? I'm like, yeah. Why? Who was he? Uh, that was Eddie Van Halen's father. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, can I, can I chime in two things? One is, um, False the EV and family. He's obviously going through stuff. Yep. Um, so we're obviously thinking of him. And Butch. Yes, sir. Um, the Dallas Cup was where I kind of made my bones. So thank okay. you. What year was that, Raber? Um, uh, uh, 96 was my first year with oh, Castle. Wow. I was okay. Okay. 90, uh, maybe 95, 96, but that's when I went down. We were the Raleigh Caps back then, but then okay. Castle. Yep. Carl Fleming. Carl Fleming. Oh, he's in, he's, whoa. Yeah. He's in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. And I then he was, he was my coach at UNCG before I transferred. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. he's, he, sent a, oh. he, sent a, he sent us a couple players the last couple of years out of Houston. So, yeah. Yep. Flea's Fle still around, but thank you so much uh, for building that because that's where I got found. Well, which is really cool. I, yeah. I don't, great story. Yeah, I didn't build it. I just played in it. But uh, a lot, you know, it's it's a heck of a deal, really. And uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, Ryan. So I surprised you with the, the security shirt. <laughs> Here's your list. All right. So I did it just so you know, sort of like the uh, final, you know, the the March Madness, right? I had the five in, the five on the bubble. Uh, <laughs> so that's my list. This is your list. This is what you sent over. Exactly. What's so, the last one? What's that? The last one is the five in. The last, the last one, it's cut off. A long way oh. to the top if you want to rock and roll. But AC, you got to go up a little, Ryan, because the versions are totally different, you know? So as you can see, I'm a lot of piano, a lot of saxophone, a lot of harp. Okay. Let me get rid of the. Here we go. There we go. And get so rid of you, the ticker. If you typed in, if you typed in on YouTube, ACDC lyrics, you're gonna hear a totally different song. Which sort of John Bowie. This is sort of funny. Sort of the. Uh, or no, Ryan, you'd relate to this too. The uh, it sounds like almost like the uh, um, the house, uh, the school house of rock. House of rock, yeah. House of rock, sort yeah. of playing it. Yeah. And then the detour version is really interesting, guys, because it's it's with horns. It's with um, Lizzie Hale um, and Robin Zander from Cheap Trick and a couple guys from uh, um, Guns N' Roses. Let me some Guns N' Roses. So the, right, one that, well, the one that I, I have a question about, in all uh -oh. seriousness. Okay. In the, in the bubble. In the bubble. In the bubble. Last chance. Shooting star. Oh my God. Incredible, right? Absolutely phenomenal song. Yeah. 
now ACDC Back in Black is my second favorite al- favorite album of all time. Respect. <laughs> no doubt, Rams. So it's it's Nirvana Unplugged, ACDC Back in Black. Okay. Okay. But I I truly believe with all of my heart that Last Chance Shooting Star is better than A Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. Okay. Like uh, just my opinion, obviously. Okay. That's the yeah. one. Like. I looked at that and was like, oh, man, how does that not get on there? And then I looked at your list and went, oh, because there's ACDC on his list. The name of the song <laughs> is so good that you have to have it on the list. It's like having a Scottish center back. You don't give a shit how good he is. You just want him to go, come on, lads. Yeah. Right? And yeah. just hit people. And just yeah. hit people. It doesn't matter. Like, he's, he's wiry. Way, he's, he's wiry. Be a ginger and hit people. Yeah. And, and, and short, adult medium uh, shorts. And but a long way to the top, you want to rock and roll. The name alone puts it on the list. I full respect for that. All right, Ripcord, Ryan, you're up. Boa, you Boa, you're Boa's list. Yep. Here we go. All right. So so my five favorite Liverpool games are all of all time are the 86, 89, and 06 FA Cup finals and the 05 European Cup final. They were down three nothing at halftime and the second leg of the Barcelona. Game where they were down three nothing on aggregate, and they uh, were but see that was easy. But the list of songs was fucking hard. I've been working hard on this all week. So number five is Pink Floyd, Fearless. The only reason it's number five and not number one is because they went to Anfield and recorded them singing "You'll Never Walk Alone," and it plays at the end of the song. That's right. And it's on the 1971 album called Metal, M-E-D-D-L-E. I have that album. Great record. And the, if you do butch, it's worth $1,900. <laughs> Wait, you have the actual album, like the LP? I do. Oh, wow. my God. It is a great <laughs> record. I mean, no matter. Yeah. Number four is a band called Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians. And the only reason that they're on my list is because of the name of the band. But they do a version of You'll Never Walk Alone. <laughs> the name of the band is Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians, and they sing like religious stuff in 1952. That's number four. Jerry the Pacemakers. Number three. We're getting there. Number oh, three. Boy. Are you guys familiar with the band the Alabama Shakes? Yes, yes absolutely. Brittany Howard, yes. what a voice. She did a version of You'll Never Walk Alone, which is my third favorite song of all time. Are you serious? That is she wonderful. Did. They did a Johnny Walker whiskey ad. Yep, so look that one up. That's wonderful. So Brittany Howard singing You Never Walk Alone is the third best song ever written. Number two. think that they're on Spotify. You're killing me right now. Number two song of all time is Elvis Presley singing You'll Never Walk Alone. (laughs) No, it's right there. 1971, he did a, he, a lot of people don't know this, but he, he was a freak show. But Elvis was a big, big religious gospel singer. He really wanted yep. to do gospel songs. Yes, he was. Albums, yeah, and the Colonel wouldn't let him do it. So, but Elvis Presley singing yeah, because it wasn't going to make the Colonel money. any money. That's right. And the number one best song ever fucking written, ever played anything is Jerry and the Pacemakers, 1963. You'll never walk alone. Yep. All right. I they have that plaque I, in Anfield. I have that out too. Yes. Uh, yeah, that one? Yeah. They, they just put a plaque in Anfield about six months ago for Jerry Marsden. Now, they didn't write it. It was it was, came from a musical called Carousel, written by Rodgers and Hammerstein. That's right. But Jerry and the Pacemakers made it famous, and Liverpool were the first club in the world to sing at games. A lot of people don't know that either, because of the Beatles. 
Yep. And they would sing Love, Love Me Do. They would say, Bone, Bone, Gun, Gals in the Wing, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's what started. Then they started singing it in Celtic and they sing it in, I think, uh, South America somewhere. But those are the top five best written songs of all time, right there. Well, and also okay. the, the top five floodgate operator songs. Are yeah, really we should do that sometime. Yeah. I do. I do have that list actually already started. They, uh, I figured that would come up later. So, yeah, so but, John, uh, Evie's John, oldest kid is here. I want to. I want to fight. I want to fight John Boa on this one though. So, <laughs> why does Yo-Yo Ma's version of "You'll Never Walk Alone" not make your list? He doesn't sing. It's not a song. Ah, but, good but job. But good job. Mozart, but, but, Mozart Beethoven, but Kath nah. Catherine Stutt. Like he's singing with him. Now like, I got a question. Now, what about Marcus Mumford? I like Marcus Mumford. Okay. Um, Josh he Groban. Was on, he was on the list. Josh Groban. He would never be on the list. <laughs> and, and also, it would be can, like that would be like me putting Roy Keane on my top. <laughs> this yeah. will be cut out, but um, Butch, I have a puppy, and I heard your dog, and I was like giving me anxiety. I was like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Like my puppy's going nuts. Like yeah. it's crazy. So. <laughs> It's not, sorry about that. So no, it's no, fine. It's fine. My, my puppy's going insane. He's literally bearing down the door. Yeah, uh, like get, let me in there. Let me in. Yep. But there All are right. a lot of versions of it. All going on. It's hundreds. Yep. Yeah. There, there is an entire playlist oh, yeah. um, on Spotify of of different versions of that song. Righteous Brothers so. did it on uh, the Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, there's a, there's religious versions. There's it's a wonderful uh, wonderful song. Well, a lot of people don't know it's written by an American. Yep. So, yeah. Rogers Hammerstein wrote it for for a musical. That's right. Musical. Yep. That's right. Now, so. bonus points if you know what musical it was. Carousel. Nineteen forty-eight. Yes. Like yes. Excellent. A Good lot stuff. of people think it was My Fair Lady, but they would be wrong. They would be wrong. You're correct. Um, what other what other wonderful songs came from Carousel? Anybody know? And then we'll we'll move on from there. But is it all I want is a room upstairs? Is that that one, or is that my fair lady? Uh, I think that might be my fair lady. I, I, I knew it being gay, so I had to. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, not, I, I don't really know my musicals yet. No, no. <laughs> I figured that if I figured that if you were if you were a fan of Carousel, being you, you would know "Blow High, Blow Low." <laughs> <laughs> that was the song I was going for there because it's you. That's what Liverpool was doing yesterday. <laughs> right. Right. It's oh. okay. That's what Manchester United did against Liverpool last week. So Van Dyke looked like he was a baby deer on ice skates on a frozen pond. It was awful. Okay. I think that's the close. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we will mention one more soccer piece before we go. NWSL expansion Utah Royals will return in 2024 for those that follow the women's game. Um, MLS, you're not going to believe who's in first place out in the West. Anybody know off the top of their head? Vancouver. It's not St. Louis because St. Louis lost to Cincinnati, but St. Oh, Louis. St. Louis in place. Sorry, sorry not St. Louis. Yeah. Seattle, not Seattle. It's St. Louis. Oh, it is St. Louis. Okay. They are 3-0-0 oh, oh, with so, eight goals for, four goals against, and a total of nine points. This so, is their so, first year? In so their sorry. first season. Sorry about this, but they're in the West? They're yeah. in the West. Yes. 
Till they're next, in the west. So last year, well, last they year, arc to the west. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So last year, Nashville was in the west, and now Nashville has moved back to the east. East. Okay. Because St. Louis is in the west, yeah. and then when the next club that happens to be on the MLS website already winds up being announced. So, St. Louis will probably move Las to Vegas. It is not. Yes, it is not Sacramento. So Las do Vegas do? Do they, is currently they listed. Everybody twice, and that's it. Okay. Um, no, the the schedule is really weird this year. Um, I, know they changed, I know they changed the playoffs, right? Yeah, they changed oh, yeah. The, the playoff format. The scheduling is a little bit different than it has been. Um, they're trying to balance it a little bit more, but I don't know that it matters. Why don't they just do it like baseball and have an American League and a National League play home and away on one side and just one game on the other? I mean, I, they're trying to they're trying to schedule like you have a guaranteed rival and then yeah. just match up. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to do these rivalry games and force some some rivalries like Atlanta and Charlotte, which we already talked about. Um, I think Nashville and Cincinnati will be a good matchup this year. Um, Bones Columbus Crew. Are in that ninth playoff spot if the if the uh, playoffs were to start today, three matches in. They're is sitting there a Columbus Cincinnati rivalry. Absolutely. Is it good? It is good because I f the crew is what I usually say whenever. And I actually I actually hit on a regular basis. We call them Crew Nineteen because Crew Ninety Six now plays in Austin. <laughs> so yeah, babes. I would like to do a remote. On the Open Cup, when yeah. the Riverhounds go to I'll play. I'm out there. That's a great Columbus. idea. Let's do that. Go to where? Where do they go, Rabes? I think the Riverhounds are going to play Columbus at some point. Bush oh, yeah. Said. Okay. Yep. And Ryan, yeah. cut all this out, by the way. No. Man. No. No, like, people need to know. Like, we're, we're, we chat about this stuff. Like, I think it's an interesting – once the once the Open Cup stuff, you know – really gets rolling we'll talk a lot about the open cup because i think it's the most underrated tournament in our country it is we also have a remote um, in cincinnati i'll get me started yeah it's gonna be good are you talking about the chief the chivas game no did he talk to you guys about that yeah so not (laughs) yeah we'll take this offline Yeah, yeah that's fine all right well we're gonna wrap the show up for this episode, Butch, thank you very no, much. Thank for you for having us. me. It was, it was fun, really. Really appreciate, appreciate it. Really thank appreciate you, you taking the You're time. Welcome. It's a good luck with the show, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, and we'll uh, your, we'll your catch. Athletic director, we'll get a copy. Don't worry. Oh, I can't wait. Just yeah, because because Bone will send it to everybody that's in his phone list. Yes. Just, <laughs> boop, 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 boop. And, and at your school. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. All right. No, appreciate you taking the time to to join us. And we'll definitely send it out. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and watching the three old goalies. Be sure to join us next time. Like subscribe. So you don't miss out on any of our great content. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Can't get enough of the three old goalies. Be sure to check us out at www.3oldgoalies.com.